Welcome back. Episode 26 of the Split the Scene podcast. Uh, we're back for another week. Uh, uh, we're getting closer and closer, more and more into spring. Uh, the weather is getting warmer out here at an alarming rate for me and Josh. Uh, Josh, there's like highs of 60s all next week, which is kind of weird to me. Really? That is nice. Yeah, that is really nice. And Dom's still in the desert. so I got a, I got a sunburn the other day at a Padre Spring training game. It felt good. Dom likes sunburns. All right. Got that noted. That's what you said. Uh, I said it felt good. I didn't say I liked it. Okay. Uh, Thank you for the clarification. I'm I'm glad you clarified it. Uh, Well, speaking of deserts and speaking of Arizona, uh, the only little bit of football we get into here, uh, one of the things is um, J.J. Watt is an Arizona Cardinal, uh, which is not what any of us thought would happen. It does kind of make sense. Uh, he signed a two-year, $31 million deal uh, to play in Death Valley, and he specifically said uh, after the signing that he uh, said it was no secret that a good quarterback was a must wherever he went, and he thinks that they have something special in Kyler Murray. So basically, he endorsed Kyler Murray by going to the Cardinals. Uh, uh, Josh, what are your opening thoughts? I know you've been teased a bit about him not going to Buffalo, so I want to get you on here for – yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like this is a great moment for me by any means. Obviously, I was very passionate about the fact that J.J. Watt should go to the Buffalo Bills. I really thought he would, and I was very upset to see that he didn't. I do think it's a very interesting fit in Arizona. He did choose a great quarterback. I think the Bills have a better quarterback, but he did choose a great quarterback, and he also is choosing to go to a team that already has a stud defensive end in Chandler Jones. So he's going to play on the opposite side of him. That'll help him out a little bit. He's never really had that freak defensive end to play alongside. So that'll be really interesting for JK. I am excited for him. I do think it is a good fit. Still think Buffalo is a better fit, but at the end of the day, if JK is happy, good for him. Bills do now need to find someone to stop the quarterback to get some pressure on the QB to get some pressure on Mahomes when we get back to the AFC championship game, hopefully. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do from here. I've been hearing a lot of talk about potentially if Von Miller is put on the open market, going back and giving Von Miller a similar contract that JJ got to Arizona, maybe a little less money, but something along those lines, I think is the perfect fit for the bills, getting that two year deal so that it's off the books before we have to start paying guys like Josh Allen, because obviously he's going to warrant a lot of money. I think that ideally that would be great. That was the beauty of the J.J. Watt signing to me was that you could have him off the books before Josh Allen needs to start getting paid. Obviously, that's now off the table, but you can still maybe get it with someone like Gavon Miller, hopefully. Really interesting deal here. Great move for Arizona. They are going to be a team to watch for this season. Obviously, Kyler had his injuries last year, so that kind of derailed the Cardinals season. They're going to be a really interesting team to watch this year, and I think they could really do some damage. Yeah, uh, I mean, you talked about J.J. Watt now playing next to a, a great defensive end. I mean, he played – this is sad to say, but he played a couple of games with Clowney, didn't he? Or, like – I mean, he probably didn't play a whole season. Yeah, he, he but, did, and those were his better years, but that was also not really Jadavion Clowney at his best, I would say. That's fair enough. And Chandler Jones is an elite and went to an elite – Yeah, Ch- Chandler Jones is much better than Jadavion Clowney. Yeah, especially. I believe, I don't remember what year it was. I think it was 2012, the graphic said, 
the J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones since that year. I think it was 2012. I might be wrong. It could be a different year, but they are the two leaders in the National Football League in sacks since that year. It could have been like 2013, 2011. I don't know, but the two of them were two highest sack totals. So it's it's pretty 20, good. It's 2010 because I believe that was the year they both they both entered the league that year. No, Watt entered in 2011. Regardless, those two have been the dominant defensive ends of the past of the 2010s. Um, really, right. no dispute is what the point of that was. Dom, JJ Watt Cardinal, how you feeling as a Rams fan, as an unbiased sports fan? Yeah, I mean, I this I think this is a great move for both those two parties. Obviously, like Josh said, I think the Bills would have been a better spot to go out and try and win a championship. Wholeheartedly agree with that. But hey. Arizona is a great spot for that too. And I, I obviously was very high on this team. And then like Josh mentioned, Kyler got hurt, but another guy who got hurt is another name you just mentioned, Chandler Jones. He missed the latter half of the year as well. So bring both those guys back healthy next year, bring in JJ Watt. That'll just increase both their productions. JJ Watt faced the highest double team rate of any edge rusher in the league last year. So now that Chandler Jones will be alongside him, you're not really going to be seeing that anymore. And I think that's just going to help JJ Watt still be productive. We'll see how well he continues to play. Obviously he's getting up there in age. Definitely has had some injury battles in the past, but I think it's a fantastic deal for both sides. And I mean, as a Rams fan, the Cardinals were already going to be good. Like, I don't think it really changes too much, but it definitely elevates the Cardinals above the likes of possibly the 49ers and the Seahawks. I still think the Rams are the team to beat. I think that's the general consensus around the league, but the Cardinals are going to be really good. They're an NFC title contender. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, (laughs) that NFC West just gets uh, more and more crazy. Uh, Obviously there's been, uh, because it gets low in the off season. I think this is the majority why these talks have been happening, but uh, there's been a, levy of reports about J.J. Watt, not J.J. Watt, sorry, Russell Wilson and uh, how unhappy he is at at Seattle. And one of the things stressed in these speculative reports is uh, he's tired of getting hit and uh, he now has to play two games against J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, barring injuries, and then have to go play against Aaron Donald. And uh, yeah, that's just not, that is not fun at all. Uh, But that FC West will definitely be something to see uh, and JJ Watt uh, will be wearing number 99. Uh, the Cardinals did hang that jersey up for Marshall Goldberg in the rafters, but his daughter uh, endorsed him to wear it and he said he would proudly honor uh, the late running back. So he'll be wearing 99 still in the, for the Cardinals. They're unretiring the number for him. So that's cool to see as well. Moving on, though, the only other real thing – oh, Josh, you have something you want to add? Yeah, I did want to ask. You brought up the Russell Wilson situation a little bit. I did want to talk about that a little bit because this time last week I wasn't really thinking there was any chance that Russell would be going anywhere, but there's obviously been a lot of noise about it in the past week or so. I'm curious to see, do you guys think that there really is any chance that Russell's going to get moved or he's going to be staying put in Seattle? Uh, I personally think this is all white noise because offseason gets slow for NFL news, so people are just speculating out the wazoo. I don't really think he'll get traded. Uh, I think he loves Seattle too much, and I don't think Seattle would deal him personally. I don't think this is like the Watson situation. I don't know about Dom. 
Yeah, I, I don't think he's going anywhere just because, like, it's hard to move on from a quarterback when you're in a situation where you can still win and your quarterback's one of the best in the league. Now, I think Russell Wilson's concerns with Pete Carroll and what the team is building around him, especially on the offensive side of the football, with the exception of his wide receiving core, I think he has the reasons to be concerned. And he's trying to say, hey, like, help me out here. I, clear, I clearly am good but I'm also clearly not good enough to carry us to an NFC championship because I've never done it before. He needed the best defense in the NFL to get there. Perfectly fine. That's how the NFL works. But as soon as that defense dissipated, they've made it to the playoffs because he's really good, but they haven't been able to take that next step. And he's saying, I need some help for us to be able to take that next step. So I don't think they'd move on from him, Uh, but certainly a possibility. And I think there are definitely some teams that would be interested and bringing in Russell Wilson, but at the same time, those teams need to be able to protect him as well. So it's a really tricky situation, but I think he's going to stay put. The one wrinkle of this situation that I find really interesting, though, is you can look at it from the Russell Wilson perspective, but you can also look at it from the Pete Carroll perspective. This is a guy who's a 70-year-old head coach. He's not just going to go ahead and trade one of the best quarterbacks in the league and try to rebuild. I mean, he's only got so many years left. So to me, if Russell is going to get moved, he's going to get moved to somewhere where in the trade package comes another quarterback. That's why to me, obviously this is all theory and just spitballing here. But to me, if Russell Wilson gets moved, which I don't think is likely, the logical landing spot seems like it would be Dallas with a tag and trade of Dak Prescott to me. I think that would be a really unique situation to see a quarterback swap there. We know how Jerry Jones has wanted to acquire big superstars over the years. And I think Russell Wilson would be a huge guy for the Cowboys to go get. He could be really marketable for them down there in Dallas. Send Dak Prescott up to Seattle and have them build around him. Get a younger guy and try to refresh what's going on there in Seattle. Maybe Pete Carroll can change some things around and build around Dak for these next couple of years, these last couple of years of his career. I think that would be a really interesting idea. Don't see it happening. But to me, that seems like the most likely Russell Wilson trade scenario. You know what the funniest thing about that scenario is to me is is, is doing that from the Russell Wilson perspective isn't really changing a lot uh, at all. You're going to a, you're going to a bad defense. You're probably going to you know a bad two worst defense right now. Dallas's O line is aging and getting worse by the year, and Dallas also has very good wide receivers. So I mean, if you do that, you put Russell Wilson in the same spot, and I and I would say you know, for my prediction that Dallas would do the exact same thing Seattle's been doing. Uh, they're in a worse division, so I'd say they, they yeah. win the division, make playoffs, but they're not going to go deep in the NFC because their defense is bad. And that would also go to a team that's giving up draft capital so they can't put young, up-and-coming yep. talent around them because obviously the Seahawks traded away the four first-round draft picks to get Jamal Adams. So, that, yeah. or two, sorry, they traded away two. The Jets have four first-round picks because they traded Jamal Adams, but – it just doesn't help a lot of teams, I don't think. Like, if you're a team like the Bears, maybe, but I don't know. They're, it's a really tough spot because Russell Wilson's good, but he's getting older. Uh, the height limitations, obviously. Commands very clearly. Yeah. So it's a tough spot for teams that are looking to get better at quarterback and for the Seahawks, and I think they just stick it out. Yep. We but all that does seem to me like – if something's going to happen, that seems like a logical solution that would make sense 
for the most part, pretty much everywhere. And, and don't get me wrong for uh, what I said. I'm not saying that Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson are, are similar talent wise. I'm more saying that the, the tools around Russell Wilson would make them not seem very different from a I agree. standpoint at Dallas. Yeah. Okay. I also, I know you're someone who's very high on Kellen Moore, Leo. I think that is something that could attract Russell Wilson. I would say the big difference between Seattle and Dallas would be the 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 level of O, or, o coordinator play is uh, very high in Dallas compared to Seattle. So yes, uh, Brian Schottenheimer was, or not Brian Schottenheimer, whoever their OC was. was Marty Schottenheimer. Very, okay. No, yeah. it was. Was it just Marty Schottenheimer or Brian? Brian. Who's because Marty? Marty was the Chargers head coach at Yeah. Is Brian Schottenheimer their GM? Wait, who's their GM? Who's Seattle's GM? I think Sean Schneider. I thought it was okay. Well, regardless, uh, we're all flexing how little we know about Seattle's uh, front office, <laughs> which is probably fine. It's not the biggest deal. Last piece of move. We're talking about quarterbacks, Russell Wilson. Uh, the only real thing of note that we have to say right about now, as we approach uh, free agency beginning, is Ben Roethlisberger is running it back. Uh, you took something of a nearly $20 million pay cut to come back and play for the team again. Uh, it's no secret that he loves a lot of those guys in the locker room. He loves Mike Tomlin. And now you see that he actually thinks that they can go out and win a championship, regardless of what you think they can do. Uh, that's his, that's seems to be what his mindset is right about now. If he <laughs> takes a $20 million pay cut uh, to go play for the team, which, you know, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see. Yeah, I always love when guys stick to a, an organization and are willing to play for it. You know, as much as I've, you can, I've hated Tom Brady at certain points in my life watching him play. I always appreciate that he took pay cuts to play longer for the Patriots to keep them good. Uh, it was nice to see. So and in a time in sports where there's real, no team loyalty or team loyalty is dying out more and more. Uh, I like to see it whenever I do see it. So it's interesting, and we'll we'll see. You know, I I, I think a lot of us don't think the the Pittsburgh Steelers are gonna head the AFC North next year, right about now. Uh, but uh, it's definitely something of note to talk about. I don't think they will either, but this move certainly helps that because what he did was he took a five million dollar pay cut, and he also transferred some money over to be a signing bonus up front. So overall. He ends up saving the team $15 million of cap space, which is absolutely huge because the $5 million cut and then I think $10 million he got in a signing bonus, which at the end of the day, if you're Ben Roethlisberger, you're, you're losing $5 million and now you're making $24 million instead of $29 million, which is a great deal for the team. And it's going to help himself win a championship because we saw last year, the defense was phenomenal, losing a couple of key pieces there. And then the offense, it was good for a long time. And then not having a running game really caught up to Big Ben and the rest of the offense. And then people realized that he was just throwing check downs to his first look. And then uh, things went very badly, as we all saw the Bills game, the football team game. I forget who they lost to in the following week of the Bengals. That was terrible. And then, of course, in the playoffs against the Browns. So they, they need to help put a better team around Big Ben. Obviously, it's less dire of a need compared to helping Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson and Big Ben at this point in their career just not the same. But they definitely need to help Big Ben out, give him an O-line, give him a run game. I mean, I don't know how you give someone a run game, but they need to, they need to have a better running game next year. And if they do, they're, they're, cert they're certainly still a playoff team because that defense is going to be good again. 
Dom, you spend a first rounder on a running back, your favorite thing for franchises no, to do. No, no, no. I, I thought no. you loved that, though. I don't think of, there could be a worse situation for a team to draft a running back first round. You're literally drafting a running back to try to win one year, then your quarterback's going to be gone and you have nothing. I 100%, so, think, I 100% couldn't think of a worse situation to draft a running back in. What I will say about the Roethlisberger situation, I was shocked to see him come back, especially after Marquise Pouncey announced that he's retiring. That was when Pouncey announced that he was done. I figured Big Ben was just going to go with him. I mean, they were playing together for, I think it was 11 years. Pouncey was in the league, all with the Steelers. So they obviously built a strong camaraderie between the two of them, snapping the ball to Roethlisberger thousands and thousands of times. I was pretty surprised to see Roethlisberger stick around without Pouncey. It's going to be interesting to see his dynamic with a new center, also just with a lot of changes going on in that Pittsburgh organization right now. So we'll see. I don't have very high expectations for Pittsburgh this year. Wouldn't be surprised to see them even maybe dip below 500. I don't think they're going to be that good of a team this year. Roethlisberger is another year older, and he wasn't even that good last year. So we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be too excited if I'm a Steelers fan. Yeah, uh, I could see. I don't see. I think their defense is a little too good to dip under 500, in my opinion. But I, I definitely agree with the fact that they're not going to be very much better than they were last year. Or they're not going to be better than they were last year. Sorry, I agree on that point. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all of our football talk. It's, it's really weird uh, to me, you know, to have that little football talk. But it's it's March. Or it's early March. It's just it's just how it is. Uh, but early March means that spring training is in full effect. And we most certainly have a lot of baseball talk to go into. We'll have another division breakdown for you. And we have another split the seam showdown uh, this time with me and Josh uh, that is baseball oriented. But first we'll get into the division breakdown, move to the next team. Yeah, before we do get into the division breakdown though, Leo, I do want to congratulate you and just thank you for the Philadelphia Phillies win in the spring training game the other day beating the New York Yankees by a score of 15 to zero. You always love to see the Yankees losing by that much, even if it is against the Phillies. That was fun for me. So thank you for that, Leo. I mean, I most certainly enjoyed it too. Even though it was a spring training game, I watched, uh, I watched Mickey Moniak Homer twice. Uh, I never thought that would ever happen. Uh, actually, sorry. I did think that would happen in what, when was he drafted? <laughs> 2015, 2016, 2016. Yeah. So I thought that might happen in 2016. Oh, I didn't ever think it would happen after that, but uh <laughs> It was nice to see him, Homer. Uh, it was nice watching Alec Baum. Uh, it, it was a great game. It was a great Inner game. Inner Dubal Herrera, who I, I, I kind of like to. He's still playing baseball? Uh, yeah. That, that, that would mean Dom got into a Twitter thing, and uh, I went. Wow. I went Mickey Moniak. Dubal Herrera. Yeah, I went Mickey Moniak Homer twice. I thought I was watching an LCC game, then Dom went. Odubel Herrera homered too, and I'm like, I don't like to think about that he homered because he shouldn't be playing baseball. Right. Oh, 100%. But I I had no idea he was eligible, and then he, of course, went yard. He crushed it. It was off a was it D.V. Garcia, who is another one of those guys the Yankee fans are hyping up, saying that they're going to have one of the best rotations in the league, and I'm just like... Yeah, the rotation. I, 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 I don't see I it. I don't see it, man. They, they showed a graphic. None of their starting pitchers last year, except for Garrett Cole, had over 35 innings pitched last year. Like, that's just not a good sign. And Yankees fans seem to totally ignore that and act like that's not an issue. So, it's funny. I'll, I'll let them get crushed. I've tried to warn them. 
Yeah, but uh, we'll save more of the Yankees top for talk for next week. We are doing the AL for divisional breakdowns, but we chose to do the AL West next. So we'll talk about the uh, AL West here, and we'll obviously start from the bottom. Um, I think the bottom is a little bit more interesting for this division. It's not as clear cut as the AL Central, but uh, I will start off because I know Dom is going to agree with me on this one based off of <laughs> based off of Dom's TikToks. Uh, I know he's going to agree with me on this one. I do have the Texas Rangers as the worst team in the AL West here uh, next year. Uh, as I like to call them, Joey Gallo and friends. Uh, and his friends are not very good at baseball. Uh, so I don't, I think the Texas Rangers are going to be the worst team in the AL West next year. Uh, and I know Dom will agree with me. So Dom, take it away. Yeah, they, they should definitely be the worst team in the American League. I think, uh, I mean, obviously there's a couple of other teams that are not going to be good as well, but I think the Rangers really stand out, have the second worst record in all of baseball last year, only in front of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are going to be really bad. And I think Joey Gallo and friends is a good way to describe this team. Gallo was really bad last year, but at the same time, he's playing in a pandemic. He was on a really bad team. Like it's hard to ask anything out of him playing in a brand new stadium. So the circumstances for them weren't good. And this team came in with like, moderately decent expectations last year with a very solid rotation of Lance Lynn, Corey Kluber, and Mike Miner. And unfortunately for them, Mike Miner sucked. Corey Kluber pitched one inning on opening day and then got hurt. And then, I mean, Lance Lynn was really good last year. And we'll talk about Lance Lynn in a little bit. We don't want to spoil anything, but Mm -hmm. he will be brought up. I I hope he's brought up. Uh, And so the, the rest of the pitching staff, there isn't much to note. Kyle Cody last year in 22 innings, he had a 1.59 ERA and Jonathan Hernandez in 31 innings had 31 strikeouts and a 2.9 ERA. And a couple of the guys in the bullpen had solid, solid years, but there wasn't much to talk about. And Jose Leclerc, their closer, uh, he only pitched two innings and then got hurt. If he can come back healthy in 2021, that is certainly a big thing for them because he is such a talented arm. But their offense, like you mentioned, it's not that good. Elvis Andrus, he got traded to Oakland, and they brought in Chris Davis. Uh, he's probably going to be their DH. I mentioned Joey Gallo. He's a stud. Young center fielder, Leody Tavares, and young left fielder, Nick Sobak. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa Kiner is an interesting player. Won the gold glove last year at third base. They're expecting him to move over to shortstop. Was a decent hitter last year. Had a 91 OPS plus. See if he can do any better. Rudy Dorb was really bad. Ronald Guzman was okay. And outside of that, there's just not much on this team that makes you say, wow, I want to watch this team. So they're not going to have a fun year, to say the least, because the AL West is an intriguing division. I think there's three teams at the top, and then the fourth team is a very young and up-and-coming team that has the potential to be really good. That gives you any spoiler of who I'm going to pick in fourth. Uh but the Rangers, they're in no man's land. Uh, they traded Lance Lynn to the White Sox. So, obviously, there goes that. But Dane Dunning is a decent pitching prospect. So, the Rangers are going to struggle for sure. 100% agree. Josh, uh, do you also slight the Rangers in here at the bottom of the ALS? Yeah, definitely putting the Rangers at the bottom here. There's just not much to be excited about if you're a Texas Rangers fan. I mean, don't have much else to say. Dom pretty much hit it all down there. There's just not a lot of talent on this team. I mean, 
yeah, you went out and you got David Dahl, like, cool. There's nothing exciting about that. There's just no real pop in this lineup. Of course, Joey Gallo is going to hit bombs, but that's, that's really all you got here. I mean, I have always been a big fan of Mike Fulta, whatever, still can't really pronounce his last name, but he's a decent pitcher. I think they can get a couple good innings out of him. I, we'll, we'll see what happens. This isn't an exciting team to watch. There's not a lot of promise here. Vegas has them slated at 66 and a half wins. Is there over under on the win total? I think it's going to be right around there, probably around 65. So good number. I would take the under there. Not an exciting team to watch this year, Leo. Uh, it looks like we wholeheartedly agree. And more now, what? Uh, six for six. Yeah, six for six. We've all picked the same teams if we count the AL Central. Uh, I don't think that's going to continue by the time we get to the I top. Think we'll of this be, I think we'll be seven for seven. But I, yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, do we all get, get out of the way? I, I do agree with Dom. He was talking about the Seattle Mariners as the fourth place team in this division. And I would wholeheartedly agree that they'll be slotted in here. Uh, they obviously, be, you know, they have a lot of young talent. They have a lot of young prospects. They've been building up with a couple of trades. They're going to start coming out here. Uh, and they did sign Mr. James Paxton to a deal to pitch for them, which is, you know, it's it's not the biggest name. He's not the biggest name anymore. But for a Seattle Mariners team to sign him, I think is super significant for and shows what their future is going to look like. So I would also slot the Seattle Mariners in at fourth. Uh, Dom alluded that he would. Josh, would you also put them fourth to make us go? Seven yeah, seven? definitely going to put them at fourth. This is an interesting team, a really young team. I think they're still a year or two away, but there are some definitely promising players on this team. I know you guys like to bring up your fantasy team a lot when we were talking football. Now, I play fantasy baseball, don't play fantasy football, but a guy who was on the fantasy team last year who I loved, Kyle Lewis, is a really, really good player. I think he can be a guy that they build around for a long time. Really, really fast center fielder, just a great talent overall. Did not realize they still had Ty France. I find that one pretty funny. This is a decent lineup that's going to get better as well. Rotation's interesting. No one who's really too experienced. They have Chris Flexen, which is funny. Justin Dunn is going to be really good in a couple of years. I've always been a big fan of his when he was a prospect coming up in the Mets system, of course, was sent over in the package for Edwin Diaz that gave us that terrible Robinson Cano contract. But Justin Dunn is a really special player. Of course, they're going to get Jared Kelenic up soon, which is going to be interesting. I don't know exactly when he's expected to come up, but I'd imagine it's at some point this year. He should be ready to go. He's going to be an interesting player to watch. I think he's really fun, really special, really nice bat as well, as long as being great on defense. He's a really good player for them. Still a year or two away, but this is going to be a fun team to watch for them now. Kind of reminds me of San Diego that first year Tatis came up. Padres fans knew, like, they had a good core. Things were going to get fun, but they were still a ways away. This team kind of reminds me of that Padres team. Yeah, I mean, Seattle Mariners are certainly a cursed franchise, or were a cursed franchise uh, like the Padres were before as well. Dom, could you uh, break down some of the, like, we t he touched on it, but the, the prospects for this Mariners team, at least this year going forward, is what makes this team special. What, what, are, what are we expecting from them, and what should fans expect going you mean forward? Josh, Josh, of course, mentioned Jared Kelnick, top five prospect in all baseball. There are strong whispers around the MLB community that he could be an opening day starter for the Seattle Mariners. Out in right field, or they could move Kyle Lewis to a corner outfield spot. I'm, I'm not really sure 
how that goes, but I do know that Kelton Hicks is a plus defender. So that could certainly be an interesting thing to look out for because Kelnick is a stud top five prospect, <clears throat> top five prospect in baseball. However, they also have another top five prospect in baseball. And he's also an outfielder, Julio Rodriguez. He of course was kind of at the center of the, uh, the controversy with, with Mother uh, when Mother was referring to Hispanic players, not being able to speak good English. He was referring to Julio Rodriguez and Rodriguez came out of the interview and spoke perfectly fine in English. He was like, that was just really stupid. I don't know why he said that. Mm-hmm. And he he's going to be a better hitter than Kelnick, but Kelnick's obviously the much better all-around player. So that is certainly something to watch out for. Logan Gilbert, really good starting pitching prospect for them. Uh, obviously, it's mostly those two guys and like Josh Minson, Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield, who they got in the Yankees trade with, James Paxton, who, of course, they regain. Uh, I think that this pitching staff is in a good spot, though. This Gonzalez, Marco Gonzalez is a really good underrated pitcher just because he doesn't strike out guys at a high rate. Doesn't mean he's not good. Justice Sheffield, like I mentioned, very solid left-handed arm there as well. And Justin Dunn got a lot of potential. They just have a ton of really good guys. Now they traded away through their best bullpen arms to the Padres last year. Austin Adams, who didn't pitch for them last year, but was really good for them in 2019. Dan Altavilla and Taylor Williams. So they're going to need to find a way to get some of those bullpen arms back but very talented team here and then Ty France he played third base a lot for them down the stretch can also play some second base for them which I think is where he's going to play a lot because Shed Long was really bad last year but Ty France for a long time in his short very short sample size for the Seattle Mariners he was on pace for, for a 162 game season 10 war 10 war he was really good for them and uh when the Padres made the trades at the trade deadline, I said immediately, this would going to be the one trade that they'd regret. Now, what the situation that evolved around Mike Clevenger, obviously that's the trade that uh, really went away. But I think the value that the Mariners got in that trade with Ty France, uh, catcher Luis Torrens, and then two other prospects, Taylor Trammell and Andres Munoz, really good closer who just had Tommy John surgery. Uh, they got a lot of value in that trade. And I mean, Taylor Trammell is also a top 100 prospect that could certainly make waves for them in the outfield. They have a lot of options. Rodriguez is probably going to end up being a DH down the line just because he's really good hitter, not as good defensively. And they have, they'll have an outfield of Kyle Lewis, Taylor Trammell and Jared Kelnick. That's really good. I I'm a big believer in this Mariners team going forward. Evan White star first baseman going forward. Didn't have a good year offensively last year, but he showed the gold glove, caliber glove that he has, and we know that he's going to be a better hitter going forward. Big believer in this team going forward. I think the Mariners will certainly be at the top of this division in a couple of years. All right. Promising future from Dom, to say the least, for the Mariners, but for this season, you're slated to be sub-500 again in a interesting division. Uh, I know Vegas probably has them around 70-ish wins, Josh. Or low 70s? Um, Vegas 70. has them at 72 and a half wins. All right, low I 70s. think that's really accurate. Yep. What can you say? Vegas. Being How many wins did the Padres have in 2019? Remind me. 71. 70. 71. So almost right on the number. There you go. All I right. mean, they should have won more games. They're 500 at the Ulster break and just fell apart. Yeah. Go Pots. Lost two of three of the Phillies uh, in in San Diego. <laughs> Sorry, I was there for those. Um, all right, moving on here. 
this is where things start to get a little interesting. Uh, like Dom mentioned, these are the three teams that you could – I confidently say you could argue any one of them be the top team uh, in the in this division by the end of the uh, come time. I think we all can agree on that, and I think we all will differ on who we put at the top. But right now we're doing number three. Josh, I'm going to start with you here. Who are you going to slate in to finish third in this division? Um, I have a question before I do that. Matt Chapman, how much longer is he out for? Or is he going to start opening day? He's ready to go. They think he's going to be good to go. I think Oakland might still be third in this division. I just, I don't see it with their rotation. I don't think they have the best pitching. They have a lot of young younger arms I guess they got three starters who are under 30 but I mean these guys they've ran with them for a couple of years they're same five as last year and they just weren't able to get the job done most of the time Chris Bassett's and Jesus Lazardo is young he could get a little bit better but Frankie Montas is fine Sean Manaya is fine Mike Fires was not very good he was on the fantasy team for a minute he stunk but this rotation just isn't going to do it for me. I mean, the lineup's not bad. Loriano, Chapman, Marcana's good. Matt Olson, Sean Murphy's great. They added Mitch Moreland, which was nice for them. They added Elvis Angers, too, who's still a good hitter. Steven Piscotti, of course, still out there in right field. But it's a good lineup. I just don't see it with their pitching. They did add Trevor Rosenthal to the bullpen, which is nice. Sergio Romo as well in the latter days of his career. But I don't see it with the pitching on this team. I'm going to have Oakland in third. Just don't see it. All right. So Time for Josh, them to go back down. Josh, is o- Oakland in third finishing what, around 500, you'd say? Probably right around there. I know Vegas has their win total at 87 and a half. It's actually the highest in this division, which I don't quite understand. The under on that one is certainly one that stands out when you're looking at all the win totals this season. Certainly don't endorse gambling on this podcast, but those who do, I would look at that one. Absolutely. That seems like a very high number to me. Well, and it's important to note that the other two teams that we're about to talk about along with the A's, they all have above 500 win projections like in Vegas, yes. like A's at 87 and a half, like Josh just mentioned, Angels at 83 and Astros at 86 and a half, of course. So they're all it's a pretty even division up at the top it's really tough it's pick a choose so who do you choose dom next to you third in this division are you going out the athletics or are you going to throw a different california team down there I, I think it's really tough like josh mentioned and i'm going to pick oakland to be in this spot i was really unimpressed by their lineup last year their bullpen really had to carry this team and I just don't know how this team continues to play this well going forward. They lost Robbie Grossman. He went to Detroit, really solid player. Uh, Matt Chapman, he's injured. Seems like he's going to be ready to go, but I, I, I'm just not a big believer in Matt Chapman, the hitter, really good defensive player, really good player all around, but everyone acts like he's an MVP candidate. And I just don't see that in any way. Matt Olson really down here. Now, Sean Murphy is a guy that I really like at the catching spot. Uh, I think he's going to be a top five catcher in baseball moving forward very shortly. I think he's really good. Uh, like Josh mentioned, Loriana, Piscotti, uh, a couple other guys. They, they did trade for Elvis Andrews to be their shortstop, but even he wasn't good last year. I really like Mark Canna. 
I think he's a solid player. And then Tommy Listella left in free agency to go to San Francisco. He went across the bay. So the lineup really lost a lot of guys, a lot of key guys that a lot of people don't realize were good. And their two mats last year were had, had down years offensively. And Josh, I really like this pitching staff. I think it underperformed last year uh, to their very high expectations. I think that they could certainly meet that. I, I'm a big believer in Chris Bassett. The His, his pitches move a ton. Really solid starting pitchers. Not going to strike out a ton of guys. Uh, 55 strikeouts in 63 innings last year. But certainly a good pitcher. Same with Mike Fires, But he's on the downward trend in his career. Lazardo, I love him. They call him Baby Jesus. He's phenomenal. Manaya was really good in the second half of the year. And he didn't start in the wildcard round because the White Sox just smoked left-handed pitchers last year because their entire lineup was left was right-handed. Uh, so I think he's a good pitcher. And then Frankie Motos was really good in 2018 and 2019 and then just struggled in 2020. He looked really good in the first couple innings in his playoff start, and then he just fell apart. Also lost Liam Hendricks and Joaquin Soria uh, to free agency. Now, like Josh mentioned, they did bring in Trevor Rosenthal, and they also signed Mitch Moreland to a short deal. So they definitely brought in some smaller names, but I think the losses to this team are going to be detrimental to this team, and I think they end up on the wrong side of things and in third place in this division. They only gave Mitch Moreland one year, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, guys, I'm going to make it eight for eight here. I, uh, I'm i going to go with the athletics as well. I think the, you know, you, you talked about their biggest strength for last year is probably bullpen. They losing guys like Hendricks in the, in the offseason is, is huge. And, uh, you know, I, I always am of the proponent that of it's, it's sad to say, but these small market teams like this athletics are when they – decide to say we're cutting payroll we're not gonna you know we have to cut payroll down again it's breeds regression not only you know in obvious player talent but you know expectations from the team and I think going into this season that's something that might happen and I think that's why you'll see the athletics finish at third when these other two two teams might not be thinking that way and uh, one of the teams is certainly not with the money they've been spending and the other one is uh, they're cheaters, but I mean, they've been winning uh, as of late, so I, they're definitely not going to think that way either. So I am also going to slate the athletics in at number three here. Uh, now we'll move on to number two, which basically means you're you're giving away number one at the same time. So I guess we should just I'll just well I'll have you give away number one because it's more interesting that way than giving away two. Um, I'll start here. I'm going to put the Houston Astros as the top team in the AL West. Uh, the Angels obviously have amazing pieces. There's no denying that Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, beautiful pieces, but they really needed to do some help. They really need to get them some help on the pitching and uh, the (laughs) free agency they had for that is anything but help. Uh, Obviously they were in Bauer talks for a very long time. They didn't end up landing him. And I just don't think this team can win a division in baseball with their pitching issues and the Astros re-signing Michael Brantley is huge. Obviously, losing Springers is a problem, but they still have that a lot of those core pieces from that team. They get Verlander back. I think I think they're going to win. They're going to win that division again. It's going to be close, no doubt. But I am going to put the Astros at the top and the Angels at second in the AL West. Gosh, I agree with you, Leo. I you hit it right on the head for me. I just 
the Angels don't have the pitching to get it done. We were in a lot of talks saying, oh, the Angels could be the team that ends up getting Trevor Bauer. There were so many connections throughout the entire Trevor Bauer process to the Angels. So many people thought that was the right spot for him with their major pitching needs, finally giving that team a decent rotation and help out Mike Trout a little bit. This is still a really good lineup, one of the best in baseball, if I may even say, but their pitching's just terrible. I mean, Andrew Haney, Dylan Bundy's good. I do like Dylan Bundy. They added Jose Quintana and Alex Cobb. Like, I mean, you added Jose Quintana and Alex Cobb. That's not enough. This rotation has not been able to do it. I don't know if they expect Shohei Otani to pitch, but I doubt that. I can't imagine he's, that. He's pitching today in spring training. Really? That is something interesting to watch. I would like to see how he does today. I can't imagine he's going to have a great season pitching. I'd imagine he's going to be a good hitter this year. I think he does bounce back, but I can't imagine they're going to want to use his arm too much. And I just think with this Houston team, Leo, their lineup is still pretty much intact other than George Springer. Miles Straw is not a great guy to come in and play center field, but I mean, you still have Altuve, you still have Bregman. They got Michael Brantley back. Carlos Correa is still fantastic. Your Dan Alvarez was great for them last year. Yuli Gurriel is still pretty good as well. I really like Kyle Tucker. And this team has good pitching. Zach Granke's great. Lance McCullers is good. Jose Rikini's great. Christian Javier was great for them last year. This is still a really good baseball team. And as much as I don't like them with everything that went down with them last offseason with the whole cheating scandal being brought out into the public, I think that Houston just had a lot of distractions going on last year. And that's why their lineup didn't quite perform to the way they typically had. And I think once we get into this full 162 game season, the full marathon of MLB baseball, they're going to find their hot stretch and get back to being the Houston Astros. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. All right. So me and Josh went 10 for 10. <laughs> uh, Dom, are you going to come off the beaten path and put the Anaheim angels at the, t- uh, winning an AL West division crown finally, or are you going to jump on the Astro ship? 10 for 10? Not. I will take the Los Angeles Angels to win this division. I was leaning towards the Astros. The news that you guys did not bring up, Framber Valdez injured himself. Seems like he's got a broken finger, and there's a decent chance that he could miss the entire 2021 season. And I think that's a huge development going forward for them because Zach Granke was really bad in the month of September last year. Justin Verlander, he's getting old, coming off an injury. Framber Valdez was going to be their ace going into the 2021 season. That curveball is probably the best starting pitching curveball in all of baseball. Aaron Nola, very good case for him as well. But Framber Valdez was spectacular, and he was spectacular in the postseason, which is something that, unfortunately for Aaron Nola, he hasn't had the chance to do because the rest of his team just can't get their act together. We'll see if that changes this Thanks, year. Thanks, Dom. Thank you. Uh, that, was, that was an attack on you. That was an attack on basically the rest of the Phillies pitching staff, with the exception of my, my guy, Zach Wheeler. I defended that contract to the grave in a little bit this year. Obviously, you would say that because he uh, – Okay. Keep going, Dom. Uh, but the Angels, I mean, I, I think that their starting pitching staff, they're certainly not strong by any stretch uh-huh. of the imagination. Yeah. But Andrew Heaney. Had a very solid year last year, the best year of his career. Uh, and then along with Dylan Bundy, had one of the best years of his career. Andrew Heaney was much better in the second half, I must add that. 
Griffin Canning was very good last year. Jaime Barria was very good last year. They have guys going forward that I think will be better for them. And I like where they're going. And then Alex Cobb, I mean, he's done. Jose Quintana was really good going into last year. And then last year, he had a bit of an injury problem, ended up opting out of the year uh, towards the end. Uh, but he should be coming back. And he, he'll be like a better four pitcher for the Angels than what they've had in a very long time. So I think they're good in that spot. And their bullpen was actually better than what a lot of people give them credit for. And they frankly deserve zero credit because it's just been so bad as of late. But Mike Myers really emerged as a really solid pitcher, ended up having a 2-1 ERA last year. No Ramirez had a 3 ERA in 21 innings last year. Camber Drosian, very good relief pitcher for them as well. There's a, a couple of arms right there that provide you some – reason to be optimistic going forward and Shohei Otani very clearly was hurt last year listen if Shohei Otani is healthy he is an MVP candidate because his hitting numbers through his first three years are absolutely spectacular and in 2018 when he was a healthy pitcher he was so ridiculously good and last year he made two outings the first one was terrible he didn't even record an out and then the second one, it went a little bit better, but it didn't go well either. I think this is a very interesting team going forward. I haven't even talked about their lineup. I really, really like this lineup. I mean, anytime you have Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, I think those two of the best hitters in all baseball right there also play really good defensively. Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh should be uh, giving them some quality playing time there in the outfield this year to go along with them. I think Justin Upton's on his way out. He's been okay for the, for them the past couple of years, definitely not living up to that contract up the middle, Angelton Simmons and David Fletcher, or no, not, not Angelton Simmons, Jose Iglesias and David Fletcher. Those are guys, high contact guys and guys with really good gloves up the middle. And then Kurt Suzuki and Max Stassi, Max Stassi had a really good year at the plate last year. So I think this lineup is just, really solid and a decent pitching staff that I'll put over the Houston Astros. Um, it, it's really close between those two teams. I think the loss of Framber Valdez weakens that pitching staff incredibly. Like I think you can compare these two pitching staffs decently well. And I don't know how that the Astros are a really tough team to read because they were so bad for 60 games. And then all of a sudden turned it up in the playoffs. So they're interesting, but I'll, I'll pick the angels to win this division. Why not? All right. Well, there you go. Uh, the first differentiating, first differentiating. Great. That's a great word uses there. Uh, it's the first time we've differentiated on the uh, division breakdown so far, but yeah, that's going to do it. I mean, as much as I'd like to see the angels headed, uh, I still think it's going to be the Astros. We'll see though. Uh, only time will tell. Uh, now though, we're going to get to the longest portion of the podcast. And this is where I pass the, I put in air quotes, hosting duties to uh, Dom because I am participating in this showdown. So Dom, without further ado, go ahead and explain what's about to happen. Yes. So if you listen to last week's podcast, you know that we had a showdown and Leo gave Josh and I 10 free agents and we had to make an, we had to make the case for which place would be better suited for him. I, of course, won in, in overtime. And I think that this one could be fun as well because 
I'm going to, we're going to transition to baseball here for this one. And I decided to go with 10 teams that I think have a very interesting ace argument and who's going to be their ace in 2021. And I gave them a list of 10 teams. I'll just rattle them off. We got the Nationals, the Reds, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Padres, the Twins, the White Sox, the Marlins, the Braves, and the Dodgers. So those are the 10 teams. And we went in a snake draft so that we know who has what pitcher. And so I'm not going to pick who I think should be the ace because I, of course, have my opinions. Some of the people who chose the snake I agree with. Some of them I disagree with. I'm going to choose whoever makes the best compelling case. And we're going to start with who Josh took with the first overall pick. He chose the Nationals ace as Max Scherzer. So, Josh, why is Max Scherzer going to be the ace for the Nationals in 2021? I mean, we can just stay here and go with the simple answer on the fact that, I don't know, he's Max Scherzer. He Before 2020, he was top five in Cy Young voting for seven consecutive years. Yes, he had a down 2020, but I don't put a lot of value into 2020. As you guys know, it was a 60-game season. That's not what these guys are used to. Obviously, special circumstances. I'm willing to overlook that for a guy like Max Scherzer, who went seven consecutive years being top five in Cy Young voting and being an all-star. Of course, he is a little older now, going into his age 36 season, but I do still think he's Max Scherzer. He's still absolutely disgusting. You got to have Max Scherzer as the ace of this team. Not even a question to me. Yeah, Dom, I can make a very easy argument why it won't be Max Scherzer to you, and I will do it to you for you. Uh, I have Steven Strasburg, uh, your 2019 World Series MVP, as your ace of the Nationals. Obviously, the Nationals have a lot of great pitching. But look, what, what do we think of when we talk about Steven Strasburg? Obviously, he's not a stranger to injuries. All right. We all know he didn't play 2020 last year. Uh, he obviously had that elbow surgery back in the beginning of his career. The lot thought would derail him. But the interesting thing about that is when he came off that elbow surgery to replace that ligament in 2012, uh, since then up to 2019, uh, you want to know the fabled stat in war? Would you like to know what his war, his war overall in pitching is, Dom? He's seventh uh, overall from 2012 to 2019. That is in front of Jacob deGrom. That is in front of Garrett Cole. And that is in front of Max Scherzer by a whole point. So his war since those injuries in that period is better. Uh, he had a normal offseason. He's coming back fine. There's no doubts. You know, you're glad that it's not a shoulder or elbow injury. It's a hand injury, which isn't the biggest deal. And, you know, you, you look at it, you start breaking down his pitches. I'm going to break down his pitches. I'm going to talk a lot about every guy's pitch because I really want you, Dom, to picture these pitches. I know you've seen all of them. I want to pull them out of your into your memory. Um, you obviously know about his beautiful four-seam fastball with great movement uh, that he throws. He obviously throws the changeup that high, the sits around 88. It breaks really well inside on righties. And he pulls out a mid-curve that drops the bottom out beautifully. I've seen so many left-handed pitchers. I've seen Bryce Harper swing over that pitch 8,000 times. Uh, listen, Max Scherzer's getting old. Steven Strasburg was the best player in their postseason run. He has a better war over his career pitching for the Nationals, and they paid him the money to be the best pitcher. I think Steven Strasburg, it's time for him to be the ace of this team. So that's my pitch for Steven Strasburg. Josh, do you have a counter? No, I'll let you make your opinion. I think I gave my case. I think at the end of the day, Steven Strasburg is a great pitcher. I'm not going to argue against that. But at the end of the day, Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer. He's been doing 
unheard of things in the last eight years or so, of course, down 2020, but at 60 games, I mean, you can't put so much stake into these 60 games. I think that this is still a guy who's insanely talented, has been for so many years. I don't see him falling off anytime soon. The, I will say, Dom, I'm not going to argue that – I'm not going to use Max Scherzer's 2020 argue against him because Steven Strasburg didn't pitch. I'm telling you basically that Steven Strasburg has been deceptively just as good, if not better, than Max Scherzer at points, and he's younger and not – he's younger and Max Scherzer is – that'd be 36. So I think this is bound to happen. And I think it should happen now. Oh, it certainly is bound to happen, obviously, just looking at the age, but I don't think it's time yet. We'll see. Well, because this is Max Scherzer's last year as a Washington national. And I think that they're going to run it out one more year with Max Scherzer. And I think that Josh, he didn't have a down 2020. I mean, for his standards, he did. He had a 370 RA. He also struck out 92 guys in 60 innings. Like, that's really good. And, like, Leo It, it really was just down for his standards. I mean. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give this to Leo. I think he's been a pretty compelling case. I think that, Josh, if you would have mentioned just, frankly, any stat, you mentioned the, the Cy Young Award voting, which, of course, is a good way to go. But at the same time, you didn't really mention much about his stats. I mean, I, I had to mention that he struck out 92 guys in 67 innings. And uh, I think that, it, it, like I said, it's a really compelling case for either of these two guys. I'm going to give round one to Leo, though. He is up one nothing, And our second pitcher, Leo took Luis Castillo, Reds, uh, one of the best pitcher on the Reds. And that's going to leave Josh with Sonny Gray. And I think both those guys are very compelling cases. Leo, why is Luis Castillo the ace of the Reds? All right, obviously, Sonny Gray, he's been around for a long time. He obviously has pitched for multiple teams. You know, he was very successful at Yankee at one point. Uh, and there's no denying that last year, I would say, behind Bauer and his monster Cy Young season, Sonny Gray deceptively had a better 60-game stretch than Luis Castillo. But my argument for him is Luis Castillo is uh, the, you know, he – the uh, this is the guy the Reds brought up. They signed over from uh, I believe the Dominican Republic. Made his premiere in 2017. He's been the Reds' guy the entire time of his career, and he's finally putting some consistent seasons together. And I think it's time for him to be the ace. Uh, he actually did have a higher WAR last year than Sonny Gray. Uh, he had one while Sonny Gray had half of it. Um, he had a complete game in 2020. Just to throw out some recent stats. He has a lower whip than Sonny Gray's. Uh, his time with the Reds in his three years, he has a lower whip average than Sonny Gray does in his time with the Reds. But the, my favorite thing to talk about Luis Castillo is this kid just throws hard. And I just love kids that throw hard. And you know what throwing hard usually gets you, Dom? Throwing hard usually gets you strikeouts. And this is the key difference that I want to argue between Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. His last two seasons, he finished top 10 in the NL in strikeouts. And both of those last two seasons, he finished sixth in the NL in strikeouts per nine innings, uh, which is a very, very key stat. When you get to his pitches, like I said, this guy just throws heat. He has a, he has, he does throw the interesting circle change at high eighties that rolls over really well. Uh, he throws, but then, you know, you, you get to the fastballs and this guy's just electric. Uh, he has the two seam fastball. It's high nineties, 97 ish. It has great movement, goes inside on righties really well. And then he has, when he needs a strike, the kid just turns it up, the four seam. 
touches 199 consistently. He's been doing his entire career. I personally just love it when my pitchers throw gas because my general manager hates signing pitchers that throw gas. So watching Luis Castillo is great. Uh, and he does, in fact, he has four reliable pitches. I talked about the circle change. I talked about the two seam, the fastball, get you strike down the middle. Mm-hmm. And he even has a slider that sits high eighties that he gets righties to roll over consistently. So I, th- I do love Sony gray, uh, but he's getting up there in age. And this has been their guy in their system for a very long time. Who's finally putting consistent pitches together. And I think he just has a better pitching repertoire and throws harder. So I think Luis Castillo is going to be your ace with Trevor Bauer leaving. Josh, why is Sonny Gray going to be the ace of the Cincinnati Reds? First of all, changing the subject really quickly, Leo, you'll be interested in this one. The Eagles and Jason Kelsey agreed on a new deal for 2021, paying him $9 million. Just saw that on Twitter. So there's that for you. Get your center back. Now back to baseball. First of all, you said his whip was 0.5. It was actually 0.6. I'm going to correct you on that, Leo. But Sonny Gray has been pretty good for Cincinnati since he got there. 2019 was an all-star for them, sub-3 ERA. Wasn't as great in 2020, but neither was Luis Castillo. He was on the fantasy team as well. and He didn't have a great year. Really disappointing year for the fantasy team, actually. But the one thing I do, a couple things I want to point out about Sonny Gray. He had a 3.7 ERA in 2020. Not his best, still not terrible. But he had a 305 FIP. I do find the difference between the two to be very interesting to note. Of course, Sonny Gray isn't known for striking out a ton of guys, but his strikeouts per nine last year was 11.6 strikeouts per nine innings. In 2019, it was 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. Before, the, before coming to Cincinnati, he had never gotten to 10 strikeouts per nine innings. The best he had ever done was 9.4 in his rookie season in Oakland. So I think that's a really interesting thing to note. He's been able to strike out guys a lot better over the past couple of years. I expect him to do it even better this year in 2021. And that's why I think Sonny Gray is the ace of the Cincinnati Reds. Don. Leah, you want to counter? Uh, he mentioned the strikeouts per nine for Sonny Gray. He finished below Luis Castillo both of those years. Okay, but he's still trending upwards. I'm just On something that he wasn't good at before coming to Cincinnati. And he's been getting better and better at it. Listen, Dom, all I'll say is there is a very low chance for error if you get yourself a pitcher that can hit strikeouts per nine consistently in the top 10 every year because strikeouts are the best way to get a better out, in my opinion. Luis Castillo is the guy that's going to do it better than Sonny Gray, in my opinion. And he's younger, and he throws harder. Uh, I'm going to go Josh on this one. Two things, Leo. One, Luis Castillo was – on the Marlins, he was brought up by the Marlins. Oh, he was okay. traded to the Padres and then traded back after a week because Colin Ray got hurt. And he was traded to them in 2017 after uh, Dan Straley had a really good year and the, the Marlins were idiots. And then uh, in 2020, Sonny Gray had an 11.6 strikeout per nine, like Josh mentioned, and Luis Castillo had an 11.4 strikeout per nine innings. You were wrong mm-hmm. on a couple of things there. And because of that, I'm going to go with Sonny Gray now. Both those guys, they, they, they went in opposite directions, but Sonny Gray was so good. <clears throat> Sonny Gray was so good in 2019. Uh, he, he was on the Cy Young Award voting. Luis Castillo was not. Yeah, okay. I he did literally it. did. <laughs> I did it again. Oh, no. I did it again. I did the X thing again. Uh, I'm rattled. No, I'm sorry. Uh, these guys are both really good. Uh, I mean, personally, my choice would be Luis Castillo, but I thought Josh made a better argument there. Uh, 
So thank I'm you, Josh, that point. Uh, so we are tied up one, one, uh, and our next pitcher was a pitcher that, uh, Oh, that's the wrong list. Uh, was a pitcher that Josh took and he took Leo's team. He decided to go with Aaron Nola, which means Leo will have, uh, Zach, Zach Eflin, Zach Eflin. No, if you choose Zach Eflin, I will kick you off this podcast. I can't do that, but <laughs> I will. Uh, so Josh, why is Aaron Nola the ace over Zach Wheeler? Well, obviously there's a little bit of interest here on my part as someone who spent a lot of time watching Zach Wheeler pitch. I can tell you that he's just not that great. Yes, he had a good 2020, but like I've been saying, that's 12 starts. He had a good 12 starts. Good job, Zach. I'm happy for you. He's done that in New York a couple of times before and he'll fall off again. Aaron Nola has been consistent for this team over the years. He's been sub for ERA each of the last four years. He's been playing really well for them recently. He, I'm looking at some stats now, 12.1 strikeouts per nine in 2020. That's a big number for him. By far the best he's ever done. Finished seventh in Cy Young voting. Not great, but certainly still there. His FIP was a 3.19, so a little bit better than what his ERA is giving him credit for in 71 innings pitched in 2020. I thought it was a decent year for... Aaron Nola, and he can do even better in 2021. And Zach Wheeler just isn't it. I still don't understand how he got the contract that he got. Zach Wheeler is not going to be an ace on any team anytime soon. Listen, Dom, this is definitely a hard one for me to argue because, uh, uh, you know, I love Aaron Nola to death. Uh, He's been the guy with the Phillies for a very long time. Uh, And Zach said, uh, sorry, Josh says, you know, uh, he's watched a ton of Zach Wheeler. I've watched a ton of Aaron Nola. So I know what Nola looks like when he's at his best. And I know what Nola looks like when he's certainly at his lowest. Uh, you already mentioned it pre- previously. Nola's known for his, you know, curve that Josh didn't bring up. So I'm not going to talk too much about, but he has a very great curveball. Uh, and, uh, but I'm going to argue here. I'm going to go off the argument of Zach Wheeler was underappreciated, needed to change his scenery to Philly. And that's why he's played a lot better uh, in with the Phillies. And he has a better, He's a way better pitching repertoire than I think Aaron Nola does. And that's from watching Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola has a fastball that doesn't touch anywhere higher than 95, 94. Zach Wheeler throws extremely hard. His fastball consistently touches 99s. Uh, Zach Wheeler throws a two-seam that I think moves better than Aaron Nola's two-seamer does because Aaron Nola rarely uses his two-seam fastball. And he has that slider that has great movement across on righties. He even has his, he even throws out a splitter occasionally, and he does have his own curve. So there are five pitches that Zach Wheeler throws reliably, and his fastball command is honestly eons better than Aaron Nola, and that's why they pay him the good money because he throws hard and he throws consistently. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he has had a better career than Aaron Nola because he hasn't. Uh, he had a better 2020, but I don't put a lot of stock into 2020s. Uh, my argument here is that Zach Wheeler's pitching repertoire is better than Aaron Nola's and looks more like an ace's pitching repertoire. And uh, that's why I think he should be the ace of the 2020, 2021 Philadelphia Phillies. Right. And I mean, I, I think all three of us agree that Aaron Nola is the ace of this team. And it was on Leo's part to argue, to make an argument for Zach Wheeler. I think points that you could have made that would have helped you win was that he had a lower walks per nine by almost a walk per every nine innings. Then Aaron Nola, uh, you did mention the ERA being lower. Uh, one thing that I think 
Josh could have mentioned was that they have a similar FIP. So very similar in that aspect. Um, and then I think, I think it's, it's tough because these guys, they're, they're both good. And I think Leo, like you mentioned, the stuff certainly favors Zach Wheeler, but Zach Wheeler doesn't strike out guys at the rate that you think he does. And I think I'm going to give this to Josh. It was close. This was, this is one of the hardest ones to argue for you. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting at this point, Dom. So you don't right. have to go too hard on this. <laughs> yes. I didn't think I was going to get this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to Josh. He's up two to one. Uh, I, I guess I think that Nola's the ace, but I think Josh made a little bit better of an argument. I I'm a big believer in Wheeler. Josh is obviously a Mets fan. who's mad that he had his best year as soon as he left them. Um, he had his best 60 games as soon as he left. Still mad. Don't call it a year. His best, his best season. He had his best season. Uh, they missed the playoffs. So did the Mets. Like it's whatever. Uh, next up, Leo got the choice for this one at the fourth overall pick. He selected Brewer starting pitcher, Brandon Woodruff, which means that Josh will have Corbin Burns. I think this is a really fascinating debate. And I think this one can truly go either way. Uh, I'm a big believer in both these guys and I've been a big fan for a long time. So Leo, let's hear your argument for Brandon Woodruff. All right, Dom, obviously the Brewers pitching has been interesting over the last couple of years. You know, you talk about, you go into the bullpen, you talk about Josh Hader being collapsing, but uh, if there's one guy that I've thought of through the entire time, the Brewers have existed uh, in these last couple of years with the yellow time, it's Brandon Woodruff. And Brandon Woodruff has been, in my opinion, the real only stable pitcher, starting pitcher for this team in these last couple of years uh, outside of 2020, where the guy that Josh is going to bring out had a decent year. But I haven't seen any consistency from him. So I'm going to talk about Brandon Woodruff, who has been consistent. He's had three straight seasons of a a sub, a 3-5 ERA or below his last three seasons. Uh, He has the same war compared to Burns, despite – them having him having higher ERAs at certain points uh, in his career, which includes 2020. He's a veteran guy with playoff experience. And I really think he's the only player reliable pitcher to go deep into these games. I mean, we talked about last year, Burns only pitched 59 innings in those 12 starts and Woodruff gave you 75 innings and in 13 starts. That's Woodruff pitching a whole extra inning. That's three extra outs on average compared to Burns uh, who uh, obviously it's a shorter season. So he pitched, they all pitched less innings and he hasn't showed any signs of regressing, even though he's getting up there in age, he's been pitching for a while. So why take him off of the ace spot? I, I wouldn't take him off the ace spot. If, unless you had something very, uh, someone very good and very impactful coming up. And that is not what I think Burns is. Uh, and I really, that's really all my argument is, is don't take a guy off his pedestal when he's that high. He's been pitching for longer. He's had more consistent seasons than Burns had. Burns really just has his 2020. He's had a couple other suspect seasons and he's gone longer into games. And that's why he has a higher, he has the same war as Burns does, even though Burns' ERA is much lower. Look, man, you can talk about the consistencies all you want. It's hard to be a consistent starting pitcher in major league baseball when you've only had 13 career starts. But in those starts, Corbin Burns has been very impressive. In 2020, he got nine of those starts, and he had 13.3 strikeouts per nine, building off his 12.9 strikeouts per nine in 2019. 2019 wasn't a great year for him. His ERA was over eight, still developing as a 24-year-old pitcher. Then his 25-year-old season, of course, a 60-game season, he had a 2.11 ERA, 2.03 FIP. Those numbers are just off the charts. Finished sixth in Cy Young voting in 2020 as a 25-year-old kid. 
look, Brandon Woodruff has been around for longer. He's been more consistent for them over the years. Probably should be the opening day starter. I will give you that. However, come the end of this major league season, as Corbin Burns gets more opportunities to start games, he's going to get 30 starts this year, hopefully, if he stays healthy. And he'll be able to develop a little more and get more comfortable on the mound and just develop a stronger presence there, be more comfortable and get that stability. Like you said, Leo, I see him becoming the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers this year. Yeah, Dom, I'm going to keep my counter short and sweet. If you say that a guy who the last time he pitched a full major league season had an 8.8 ERA should be the ace of the Brewers, I'm going to kill you. So that's all I'm going to say. He was 24 years old. It was the last time he pitched a full major league season. Well, only had four starts that year. Yeah, because he was that bad. Yeah, you're right. In 2020, he figured some things out in the offseason and had a better year. This I is mean, a young kid who's been developing. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen, I'll, I'll wait to see him pitch a full major league season. Th- that's why I said Brandon Woodruff is going to be the opening day starter. Right now, he is the sure commodity. As we go through the season and see Corbin Burns progress, get more comfortable in a 162-game stretch, get more comfortable hopefully having 30 starts in a season, he'll develop and be much better and become the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers by the end of the season. Well, that's not that's just not what we're arguing right now, though. So, I mean, I'll agree with we're you. We're arguing who's the ace of this team. Corbin Burns will be the ace of this team. Will be First, and is are two different things, though. So, it's up in to you, this season, He will be the ace of this team. Opening day is going to be a different story. But at some point this year, Corbin Burns will take over as the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers. I can see that happening. It's just not what we're arguing. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. I, don't, I, th- I think that is what we're arguing. We're talking about who's the ace of this team. We're not talking about who's the ace of this team on Friday, March 5th, because no one's playing meaningful baseball games on Friday, March 5th. So why talking, would we you're talking be about worrying about it now? You're talking about him being an ace in five months. That's part of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. I know, but that's a lot of time. It's part of the season. Uh, here's my feeling about your guys' arguments. I think both you guys missed arguments about both your guy and the other guy. Leo, I think you missed on a huge opportunity to hammer home how good Brandon Woodruff has been in the postseason as well. You, you mentioned it, but you didn't like, bring it up. In 21 innings, He's a 2-5-7 ERA, and a lot of people forget that he started the NL wildcard game in 2019 because, of course, there are many memorable things about that absolutely fantastic baseball game. But he was really good. He went four innings, only allowed two hits, and only allowed one run. That was a home run from Trey Turner, who was just playing out of his mind down the final stretch of the year. And he, he was really good, kept him in that ball game. I mean, he didn't keep him in the ball game. He kept the lead. And you also got to mention that in the 2018 postseason run for the Brewers, he had 12.1 innings and only allowed two earned runs. So you really could have hammered that home, and that would have been a really strong argument. I'm going to criticize Josh's argument too. I, I know, but what I want to say about that is uh, I don't think the Brewers are going to be in the postseason anytime soon. So That's what I was going to say. Lot. Who cares how good of a postseason pitcher he is when they're not going to make the postseason? I, I wanted to say he has reliable time in the postseason, and uh, yeah, but keep going. Go ahead. I, don't I mean, I think this team's the second best team in the Central, but that's a, that's not what we're arguing. That doesn't matter. That's not going to uh, get them in the postseason. I I would agree. Uh, I think that that is certainly an argument that you could have made. And then you, you mentioned how durable he's been. He really hasn't been that durable, especially as a starting pitcher, because in 2019. He only made 22 starts for 120 innings. He missed a 
majority of the season there was very talented, not a majority, but the middle of the season. Uh, and then obviously he made 13 starts in 2020, which led all baseball. And then Josh for Corbin Burns. Uh, if you look at his career stats as a starter four eight ERA, you, you mentioned his, uh, his 2020 season, his starts in the 2019 season were not great. And then obviously in 2020, it was a lot better. And then Leo, you mentioned when you were countering about Burns that uh, Woodruff got more innings per start, but, but Burns only made nine starts last year. He had 12 outings total. Three of them came out of the bullpen. So I think that you kind of missed a little bit there, but 88 strikeouts and 60 innings is hard to ignore. Both these guys have really good stuff. Ah, uh, this is a tough one. You guys are putting me in a really tough spot. I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Leo and Brandon Woodruff. I, like I said, I don't think you guys nailed the arguments either way. So I'm just going to go with the person who made the selection of Woodruff. So we're tied 2-2. Uh, Josh, you're going to choose my team here with the fifth overall pick. You chose Blake Snell, uh, San Diego Padres. And I talked with Leo because obviously there's another really – there's multiple good choices here for the San Diego Padres. And he made the choice of you Darvish over guys like Denelson Lamette and Joe Musgrove. I think that's the right choice with Absolutely Josh is the right Snell. choice. It's the but, second starting pitcher for the Padres, but not the ace. Go for um, it. Here's what I will say about Blake Snell. Dom, I know you read the article. Leo, I don't know if you did. Blake Snell's Player Tribune article talking about what went down in that World Series game, what went down when he was traded to the San Diego Padres, and just how he's feeling after a really interesting offseason that he had. It's been an interesting six months or so to be Blake Snell, but he's in a really unique situation now in San Diego. He's coming out of Tampa Bay after, of course, the whole situation in game six of that World Series getting pulled too early. And in that article, he talked a lot about how he's now excited to be able to go deeper into games, how he thinks he's ready to be able to go deeper into games. It's almost like it's the next challenge for him because he's act like he's conquered the pitching world he's been fantastic over the years of course winning Cy Young in 2018 didn't have as great of a year in 2019 bounced back in 2020 of course that was only a 60 game season like I've been saying but he's been great in the postseason over the years the Padres are going to be going back to the postseason as many people expect and he's going to get a new opportunity to pitch deeper into games and he's been really excited about that saying that it's the next challenge for him how it's something he's excited and ready to do. And I think he's going to be able to do that really, really well. I think you look at what he's been able to do over the years. Of course, winning Cy Young in 2018, one of the best seasons we've seen anyone have as a pitcher in a really long time, honestly. That year where Blake Snell was dominant, he was unhittable. He's still been good since then. Hasn't been perfect, but I think he comes into a new situation in San Diego just an exciting team to be on. He's a guy who really does have a lot of character, and I think he's going to fit comfortably in that locker room, fit comfortable in San Diego, fit comfortable in that rotation really well. I just see this as a perfect match. I really like the guy, and I think that he's going to thrive in San Diego. He's going to thrive pitching in later game, later into games. He's going to embrace that new challenge in his career and really take the next step as a starting pitcher. Leo, why is you Darvish the ace of the Padres? Look, uh, Dom, I have a whole whole thing prepared for you here. Uh, obviously, I we all know Blake Snell is very happy to be a Padre. Uh, we obviously know – I obviously not going to tell you Blake Snell doesn't have good stuff to throw. He obviously has a, a couple of great pitches uh, that weren't brought up exactly. But, you know, you, listen, Chicago Cubs obviously had a weird season last year. 
and none of it had anything to do with you, Darvish. I'm just going to throw out some of these numbers because this is just underappreciated, the, the 2020, the stretch. Even if it's a 60-game sprint, the sprint that you, Darvish, went on is absolutely nuts to me. A two ERA and 12 starts. That's the second lowest in the NL last year. He had a sub one whip. He had a 0.96 whip last season at the end of the season. He had 93 strikeouts in that time period, fourth in the NL in 2020. He was a part of the 2020 all MLB team last year, obviously with a season that he had like this, he had a 2.7 war in a 60 game sprint, which was six in the NL. These are all crazy stats. It's crazy that he went on, uh, on this great of a tear in the sprint it's all being overshadowed by how bad the Chicago Cubs offense was. This guy is the reason that they made a postseason run or they had a chance to make a postseason run. In my opinion, you Darvish doesn't pitch like this. I don't think the Cubs make the playoffs. Uh, and then we talk about you Darvish. Uh, the other thing I want to hit on is his pitching repertoire, because, you know, we talk about guys have a bunch of great pitches. I could tell you, you Darvish has seven reliable pitches. He could throw you. And it's just absolutely disgusting and a nightmare for any batter that has to face him. And that's why he looks so good last year. He throws both a soft and a hard cutter. So it looks the same out of the hand. You, you, you get it slower for guys to swing early. He throws it harder for, for guys to swing late. The harder one sits around high, low nineties. The lower one sits around about eighties uh, from what I saw. He's a wicked, he's a stupid slider that is just unhittable for righties. And they chase every time out of his hand. And then, of course, he has all these nice slow off-speed pitches that people swing over all the time, but you think, oh, maybe he throws soft and that's his thing. No, he throws a 99-mile-per-hour fastball, four-seam fastball, right when he needs a strike. So he can, hit, he can touch you up with that. He throws a two-seam fastball occasionally. That's its mid-90s. Uh, he loves to throw it against lefties with late movement. Even throws a splitter. But the thing about you, Darvish, that everyone likes to talk about and I need to hit on, the guy throws three different curveballs, Okay. And that is a nightmare for batters to look at. He throws a 12-6 curve. He throws a knuckle curve. And both those sit around 75. But then he can even pull out a slow curve that's about high 60s that looks exactly the same out of the hand. And pitchers just swing. They look like they're swatting flies trying to hit this, like, 68-mile-per-hour curveball. It's the reason he had such a dominant season last year. It's the reason he's been touted so much in his career. I know he's been inconsistent at times. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're aware of that, obviously, in his long career. But – you just can't tell me a guy with this type of pitching repertoire coming off that great of a 60 yard game sprint after you traded it that much to get him is not your ace. Uh, and that's my argument for you, Darvish. Josh, do you have a counter? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it was 60 games. Yes. He had a great year, but it was 60 games. He's never had a year even comparable to that. And it doesn't matter how many pitches you throw. It matters how well you throw them. Blake Snell throws all his pitches really well and strikes batters out and is able to get the outs that he needs and wins baseball games. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you Darvish is a bad pitcher because obviously he's fantastic. He was on the fantasy team last year and was fantastic. You guys know how much I love the Cubs last year as well, but you Darvish is going to be a great pitcher for the Padres this year. Blake Snell is going to be a great pitcher for the Padres this year. I just think you Darvish is going to be 34 years old. Yes, he's coming off a big year, but it was his big 60 games. Let's not put too much stock into that. Blake Snell is still a young guy. Blake Snell still has a lot more potential that is untapped, and I think he's going to really, really embrace being in San Diego, being in that fun locker room, being in a beautiful city like that and just enjoying himself. I think it's the perfect scenario for Blake Snell to just have a phenomenal year and maybe even go out and win the Cy Young, I think. He could really have a fantastic year this year. 
I'm buying so much Blake Snell stock right now. Love you, Darvish. Still think he's a great pitcher, but don't buy too much stock into what he did in 2020 because it's just 60 games. He's been around for a long time and hasn't had a year even comparable to that. He had a 2.01 ERA in 2020 and had only had a sub three ERA one more time in his career. That was in 2013, long time ago. Don't put too much stock into that. Go with the young, talented pitcher who's excited for this new challenge. And it's going to work really, really hard to show that he should have been put out there for the sixth and seventh innings of game six of the World Series. And it's going to work hard to get back on the mound in the World Series. I'd go with Blake Snell here. I expect a big, big year from him. Dom, the one thing I'll say, I want to say really quick before you go, is uh, one sign that I like to think of a guy that knows how to make his pitches is his uh, strikeouts per walk rate. And last th- three out of the last four years, he's had a strikeout per, he's struck out, strikeout per walk rate of above four. He had a 2017 4.7, 2019 4.1, and obviously the sprint, he had a 6.6 strikeout per walk rate. So you Darvish certainly makes his pitches, and you will for the Padres as their ace. Yeah, to me, this is a pretty easy choice. I thought that Leo made a much better argument. And Leo, you could have really hit on the head. And Josh, I've talked about this with you when you talk about how you Darvish hadn't been good as of late. Since the All-Star break in 2019, and you just look at that period of time and no nothing else, just pretend that that's the only thing we've had, which is about the equivalent of a season. That's about 140 games. You Darvish has been the best pitcher in the national leagues in that time frame, And it really isn't that close. He was really good in the second half of last year. And he was really good in the second half. And he was really good in 2020. And you talk about his stuff. It's really good. Obviously Blake Snell has good stuff as well, but it's not exactly the repertoire, which Leo really hit home. And I think that's what you really want in an ace. And another thing, you Darvish, the highest strikeout per nine, in MLB history of any pitchers throwing a thousand innings. That is certainly something that I think is interesting. And you guys have both hit home on the strikeout guys. Leo, I know talked about the strikeout per walk. I think it's in the same ballpark. So I'm going to give that to Leo. Leo's up three to two. So that is, we're halfway through this segment. Uh, If it ends up going to a tie, I will come up with another pitching uh, situation, which I think would be really interesting. Uh, Well, I'd actually choose a different, debate but uh we'll get there for you to get there. yes so leo with the sixth overall pick uh he chose twin starting pitcher jose barrios which means that josh will take kenta maeda who had the better 2020 as opposed to barrios who's been with the twins for a while leo why is barrios the ace well i mean to start it off you you uh you definitely helped out the case he's been the twins guy for a, a while and i think this and that's why that's probably why i picked him and to be honest with you, they're both pretty good pitchers. Uh, I could throw, I could start throwing stats out about you about both the guys. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I absolutely just love this guy's stuff a lot more than I do Kenta Maeda. Uh, and he's most certainly a younger guy. Uh, he has a lot of the pitches. When you start thinking about his, his pitching repertoire, he throws a nasty high nineties four seam. Uh, it's probably one of the best pitches I've seen that climbs the ladder, uh, from everything I've seen, he, he definitely gets guys to chase up high a ton. He also has a two seam that has stupid side to side movement, but his kicker is his sweeping curve. Uh, it sits low in the mid eighties. Whenever you look up uh, uh, Barrios pitch, you watch him pitch is, is make or break pitches, this sweeping curve. 
it starts if you look at it you, you watch it come out of his hand it starts at righties chest about chest high right coming right at their chest and by the time it finishes they're swinging their bat it's at their hip outside the other side of the zone it's literally an unhittable pitch but it looks like it's coming right inside into the zone to swing at it's part of the reason why he was so dominant in 2019 uh listen i just i love this guy's stuff a lot you, and you talk about that sweeping curve it's part of the reason why uh, his strikeouts per nine inning has been top 10 the last three years in a row. Uh, he's pitched in a strikeouts per nine in the top 10 of the AL. 2018, it was 9.4. 2019, it was 8.7. And last year, it was 9.7. Uh, so this guy gets you strikeouts. He doesn't have a ton of pitches, but that sweeping curve is just so iconic. He strikes out guys better than Maeda does. And I think he's been the Twins guy for a while. He's been in their system he should be their top guy. Uh, and that's why I think it should be Jose Barrios. Josh. All right. So here's the thing. I know that I have been talking a lot about not putting stock into the 2020 season, but with Kenta Maeda, I think you got to look at it a little differently. And let me tell you why. In 2019, let's look at the end of 2019 here. Kenta Maeda was a Los Angeles Dodger. And at the end of the year, they had him coming out of the bullpen. That's actually something that he had not done a lot in his career. He was doing a little bit in 2018 as well, but not something he was very comfortable with and just wasn't something that a starting pitcher wants to do. That pissed him off. He left LA, went to Minnesota and had a career year. And that's why I put a lot of stock into 2020 because not only was he used differently in Minnesota, but he just went to a completely new environment and was able to be much more comfortable in that environment. He had by far his best year with a two point. 07 ERA, a three FIP, but that's still a very good number at the FIP to only have it at three. That's still very impressive. He had a great year, 10.8 strikeouts per nine. He's never been a great strikeout guy, but he's still going to get you those outs. I think Kenta Maeda really did impress in 2020. And yes, I've been putting low stock in 2020, but when you make a switch to a new organization, to a new city, to a new scenario where they're using you differently, you can put stock into that season because you're used in a different way. You're more confident because a team is putting their confidence in you and it showed with Kenta Maeda. That's why I think that he is the ace of this team. Um, similar to the last one, Leo, you need a good counter. Uh, I need a good counter. Listen, Kenta Maeda is, has struggled to strike people out. I love pitchers to strike people out. You look back to 2012, to, to, uh, 2018, sorry, 2019, Jose Barrios struck out 202 batters and 195 batters in his last two full seasons. He's a strikeout machine. He has better stuff. His sweeping curve is beautiful. I'm not going to stop hitting the head on the nail because so many batters have looked silly uh, with that sweeping curve. Ken Maeda had a better sprint, but uh, uh, Barrios has proven in the Twins in pitching and target center that he could pitch a full season uh, to a better degree than Ken Maeda will. That's why I think he should be a starting pitcher. Uh, we're going to be knotted up here at three. I thought Josh made a really good argument about Maeda and him changing his situation. Uh, we got to speed this up a little bit because Josh has got to be somewhere. You chose Lucas Giolito with the White Sox. Why is Giolito the ace over Lance Lynn, who I think Leo is going to take? It's simple. Lucas Giolito is just a stud. There's not much else I need to say. This kid is phenomenal. He has had a really good past couple of years. 3.41 ERA in 2019. 
Not a big drop off in 2020 to a 3.48. You look at the FIP, he actually was improved in 2020, 3.43 to a 3.19. He's been top seven in Cy Young voting in each of the past two years. He's a guy who is going to get you a lot of strikeouts. Went from 11.6 in 2019 to 12.1 in 2020. We're seeing not only a young guy get better, but a young guy who's already fantastic. He's going into his age 26 season. I think he's going to have a really, really, really big year for Chicago White Sox team that I think is going to have a really, really big year overall. And it's going to start with... Lucas Giolito, not only being one of the best pitchers in baseball, but potentially being a Cy Young finalist as well. I think he's going to have a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Lucas Giolito, sub three ERA, all-star Cy Young finalist. Leo? Listen, you'll trade for a guy like Lance Lynn to not slate him as the ace of a team. He's a proven postseason playoff pitcher. He's had two postseasons with a sub 3-2 ERA. He's a World Series champion at the beginning of his career. Uh, Lance Lynn is a really interesting pitcher. He obviously had a 6-3 finish on 13 games last season. He had a lower ERA and higher war than Giolito last year. Uh, he finished sixth in the AL Cy Young voting last year. Uh he and the interesting thing about Lance Lynn is he has a lot of pitches. He doesn't throw a lot of uh, slow off-speed stuff that comes out of the zone. The guy lives in the zone with his pitches, and that's really what gets. He, he's a really interesting pitcher because you see his release point. He throws really far outside. He throws really far up. It's a really interesting angle that uh, pitch comes across the face of a batter most of the time, especially a righty. And it's it's really beautiful to watch. He has a four-seam fastball that sits mid nineties. Uh, it comes off that weird angle, but he also has a cutter and a sinker, and they all look the same out of the hand, but the difference is the cutter and the sinker obviously have the late movement. So you have no idea what type of pitch is coming at you, and with the little time that you have with the pitch being in the 90s, Lancelin becomes very unhittable, and it's exactly what you saw with the Rangers. Uh, and you trade for him, you put him on the White Sox, he's going to do exactly that and more, in my opinion, and you got to put him at an ace regardless of how Giolito is playing. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Lancelin. On this one, he's been better than uh, Lucas Giolito the past two years, and that's the years that Giolito has been really good. Um, I mean, two tough, really tough choices. And I think Lucas Giolito going forward will be the ace, but for 2021, I think Leo made a little bit better of an argument. Next up, uh, so that makes Leo up four to three. Leo chose Miami Marlins pitcher uh, Sandy Alcantara. Why is uh, Alcantara? Alcantara, the ace of the Miami Marlins. Listen, Dom, part of my argument for Alcantara is that uh, – part of my argument for Alcantara is that there's not, a, there, there's not another guy that you can reliably tell me you could put at the top of this Mariners, uh, Mariners Marlins rotation regardless of his status. And out, coming off of last season – Alicantra needs to be the starter in the ace for this team, uh, opening day starter and ace for this team. He's coming off his best season. He had a three ERA, 119 whip. Uh, you can't really, you can't put Sixto Sanchez up there yet. He hasn't pitched a full major league season. I don't know if Josh is going to argue Sixto Sanchez. And if you go Pablo Lopez, he hasn't strung together a two sub four ERA seasons. He's wildly inconsistent. He, he does not have the pitching repertoire of an ace. And to be honest with you, I, I, I love these guys, and you're going to start noticing a pattern, but I love guys that throw hard, and God does Alicantra throw hard. 
Uh, he, he throws a four-seam fastball, 95. It climbs the ladder. Uh, it's a lot similar to Barrios's four-seam fastball. He has a sinker that's the same speed. It looks the exact same, same out of the hand and obviously sinks into the zone, so it's pitchers swing right over it. He has his own knuckle curve. He pulls out in mid-80s, uh, and he has a he does have a changeup. Uh, and, but the biggest thing about uh, Alcantara is out of the hand, he throws a slider that uh, has made Reese Hoskins look silly. I could – picture 15 times in my mind that Reese Hoskins looks silly he's made a bunch of right-handed batters and then Elise looks silly with his slider uh he throws gas fastballs and he throws a slider that is absolutely nuts that gets batters out and to be honest with you Dom I don't think there's a justification to put either of the two other guys in the Mar- Marlins system at the ace yet I do love Sixto Sanchez but he's not ready to be an ace yet and he hasn't proven to be an ace yet with 120 60 game sprint he didn't even sprint the whole sprint either. So, Josh, that's my. Do you have is the Marlins ace? I didn't go with Sixto actually. I went with Pablo Lopez because I just Sixto hasn't done much in Major League Baseball yet. We can't say he's the ace. I think he will be the ace in a couple of years, but he's not there yet. I went with Pablo Lopez. This is a kid who obviously very young going into his age twenty five season. He's been getting better every year. You look at his. Strikeouts per nine went from 701 in 28, 7.1 in 2018 to 7.7 in 2019 to 9.3 in 2020. Still not where you want him to be, but certainly seeing improvements there. He got his ERA down to a 361 in 2020, FIP all the way down to 3.09. Had a 4.28 FIP in 2019, which was much better than his ERA of 5.09. So we're seeing a big difference there, which I find very interesting to note. I think that you look at a young kid like Pablo Lopez, of course, Sandy Alcantara is very similar that he's young and improving as well. But I think Pablo Lopez, really good picture, really young guy as well. just developing very well and will progress well for the Marlins organization. I agree with all that, but I don't think he's showing anything to be an ace yet like Alcantara has. Yeah, Josh, if you, if you hit the hammer on the head saying that Pablo Lopez had a better FIP, in 2020 than Alcantara, I would have really considered giving it to you. I thought you made a really good choice, a really good argument. So I'm I mean, I did make the case with the FIP being 3.09, but sure. I'm actually going to give that to you. I thought you did a good job. I think Alcantara is going to be the ace, but I thought you made a good argument for it. Uh, next up, we have you choose. Are we at 4.4 four or what? Yeah, we're at 4.4. Four. All right. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. All right, here we go. I don't care if he goes second. Uh, I already, I'm going to spoil his pick. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to have him go. Okay. And if he, if, go he, if he makes a good argument, I'll have you go. So Josh chose, uh, of the Braves, he chose Charlie Morton. And I'll, yes. I'll, I, need, I need to hear your argument for this one. Charlie Morton, the man who is aged like a fine wine. Let's go back and look at what he's done in the past couple of years. 2018, he had a 3.13 ERA with a 3.59 FIP. Pretty good numbers, 10.8 strikeouts per nine, was an all-star. Great year for Charlie Morton. 2019, changes scenery goes down to Tampa Bay. That's obviously a great spot for pickers to be. He had a 3.05 ERA with a 2.81 FIP. Strikeouts per nine, 11.1, was an all-star again. Finished third in Cy Young voting. First time Charlie Morton had ever been a finalist in Cy Young voting at his age 35 season. Fantastic. Good for him. He gets into his 2020 season. Unfortunately, was not as good. 
4.74 ERA, but he did have a 3.45 FIP. Strikeouts per nine were down. But the one thing I want to look at, I've been hammering at home a lot, 2020 season doesn't really mean as much. And you look at the numbers of what he did in 2020. His first start, July 24th against Toronto, four innings, six earned runs, not a great start for him. After that start, listen to what he did. Against Atlanta, five innings pitched, two earned runs. Against Boston, 5.2 innings pitched, one earned run. Against the Yankees, only went two innings, but gave up one earned run. Against the Yankees, went two innings, no earned runs. Five innings, three earned runs, 4.13, five, one earned run, five, three earned runs. So it was much better other than that one opening day start that just did not go well for him. I don't know if 24th was opening day, might've been second or third game, but whatever. He had the really bad first start and got so much better as the year went on. Still wasn't by any means a Cy Young candidate, but still had a very good year. I think he goes to a new situation in Atlanta where he's going to be able to lead these young guys and show these young guys, hey, I still got it. You want to learn something from me. Follow along. I'm the ace here. Watch and learn. I'm muted. Yeah, I know. I, I know I muted myself. Okay. I actually thought you made a good argument. So I'm going to hear Leo's argument. It's not going to take much because you chose Charlie Warner to be the ace of the Braves, but I want, I want to hear it. Because he's going to be the ace of the Braves. I truly believe it. Dom, there are three there are three pitchers that uh, uh, a reasonable human being would put as the ace of uh, the Atlanta Braves in front of Charlie, uh, what, 36-year-old Charlie Morton. Um, I'm going to argue Max Freed, uh, one of the nastiest left-handed pitchers in all of baseball right now. Uh, obviously, the guy, you know, you when we start throwing stats out about 2020, uh, he obviously was absolutely stellar. Uh, Max Freed in 2020, 2.25 ERA, 1.09 whip. Uh, he won every single one of his starts. He was seven and zero. Well, he won. He didn't lose a game. He was seven and zero, which was uh, top in the NL for wins. Uh, he, oh, sorry, second for the NL wins. He also had the 2019 campaign. You want to go look at a full season? He had 17 wins in 2019, which is set, which is second overall. You go back to 2020, a WAR of 2.9. That is first in the NL. Uh, he has a gold glove as a pitcher for 2020 in the NL. The guy is absolutely nasty left-handed pitcher who has shown no signs, but improvement the entire time he's come out of the Braves situation, 2020 all MLB team last year as well. Uh, and in, it, it, it's just, I don't understand how you pick Charlie Morton. I, I might have to leave the pod if you pick Charlie Morton, because not only is Charlie Morton old and shown inconsistency problems, but Max Freed has been nothing but, nothing but improved and has no show, no signs to be Josh. Max Reed is as pitched. Okay. Better. I, I just want to respond to the old and showed inconsistency problems had the one bad start. Like I outlined for you had the one bad start on his first start in 2020 and had a really good 2020 after that. He had a worse 2020. And you can Max say he's Freed. old. He did because of the one start and not because you can of the look one at, start. Okay, even if he did have a worse 2020, it's a 60-game season. You look at what Charlie Morton did in 2018 and 2019 in his age 34 and 35 seasons, had his two best seasons. I told you, this guy has aged like a fine wine. He is much better later in his career. You see this with pitchers over the years. We saw guys like R.A. Dickey had his best season when he was 40 years old. Guys do this. Some pitchers are better later in their careers, and I think Charlie Morton is going to be another example of this. 
He hasn't had a season that has touched a season that like Max Freed's. There's no reason you ever take Max Freed off the top of that rotation. You could argue other guys. There's no reason Charlie Morton should ever be the ace of the Atlanta Braves, regardless of how good he's aging like fine wine. The Braves are too touted and too stacked at the starting pitching to put him. I would rather put Soroka or Ian Anderson there. Don't agree. Uh, at all. Uh, so, Josh, I just did the calculations for you. With the exception of his first start, he pitched 34 innings in mm-hmm. eight starts, which is not good. That's under five innings to start. That, that's or, no, it's more. also that's part of what happens when you play in Tampa Bay. But yes. Right. Uh, 3.71 ERA. Uh, where's this whip? Okay. M- much better numbers than the 4.74 ERA. Yes. I 100% agree. But, but Max Freed's. Those... And that's also in a 60-game season. But we're, that's what we're comparing. So you have to throw Max Freed's 2020 season out there. Why don't, why don't you talk about his? Listen, Free listen. Free at a 2.25 ERA. I, I, you, you guys have already made me decide this. Josh, I admire your bravery. You made a great argument. I think this is a great acquisition for the Braves. It bolsters their starting pitching staff. But Mac, Max Freed is the ace. Leo did enough to, to reason me why Max Freed is better than Charlie Morton and will be better in 2020. So I'm going to take free. That's going to put Leo up 5-4. And last team, the Dodgers. Now, disclaimer, these guys texted me uh, ahead of time that none of them chose Bauer. Uh, and Leo got the pick for this one, and he chose Kershaw, which means Josh is going to argue for Bueller. But Josh also, like, called Bueller ahead of time, like, when I when I texted this. So I guess they, they, they both got their guys, I guess. But Leo – you have a chance to win it with a Clayton Kershaw argument. I mean, <laughs> it's. I'm gonna start off. It's Clayton Kershaw, okay? Uh, he is the most dominant pitcher that we've seen since we've been watching baseball, or one of the undisputed most dominant pitchers since we've been watching in our time. Josh is probably heard about Jacob Degrom, but Clayton Kershaw is uh, that's absolutely. Why I wanted you to say one of? Yes, thank you. Okay. Clayton Kershaw is absolutely nasty. I I, I don't. I think this is a home run hit last year, you know, in the, in the sprint, he's getting up there in age, obviously in the sprint, he had a 2.16 ERA in his 10 starts. He's six and two last year. He had a 0.84 whip in 2020. Uh, and then you look past that, obviously I could get into a bunch of his careers. He's a three time Cy Young winner award winner. Uh, he hasn't had an ERA above 3.1 in 12 seasons, Dom. 12 seasons of regular season. hasn't had an ERA above 3.1. Is there, is there another pitcher in the world that you can say that about? No, there's not. There's not another pitcher in the world. There's not another Dodger pitcher, regardless, that you can say that about. Um, and, you know, the one knock on Clayton Kershaw that I have obviously taken to taken to bet many times is Clayton Kershaw is an inconsistent and bad postseason pitcher, and he's horrible in the clutch. Uh, he's obviously has a couple of times where he's given up pitches that have lost the Dodgers series. But what did he do in 2020, Dom? Nah, they just went out and won the World Series and got rid of all of those narratives. Listen, Clayton Kershaw has showed zero signs of re- signs of regressing from his stupidly high standards. Uh, Dom, you know his pitches. I've been breaking down people's pitches. You're a Padres fan. You're a baseball avid fan. You know what Clayton Kershaw pitches are. I'm not going to tell you what Clayton Kershaw pitches are. You know it gets Manny Machado to strike out over and over again. You know what has looked absolutely nasty in Petco Park over and over again. I'm not going to tell you what those pitches are. Clayton Kershaw, until you see a down season for Clayton Kershaw, there is absolutely no reason he's not the ace of the Dodgers being one of the greatest Dodger pitchers of all time. That's now, it. Do you want to talk about a pitcher with good stuff? We're going to hand it over to Josh with Walker Buehler. 
Yes, first, Walker Bueller stuff is insane, but first, let's start with the obvious. Clayton Kershaw is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Let's get that out of the way. He's one of the best pitchers we've ever seen in our lifetimes. However, Walker Bueller stuff is absolutely electric. He's been great on this team for a very, very long time. He came up on Rookie of the Year in 2018. We're not going to put much stock into his 2017 season because he made eight appearances, didn't start any of them. Let's not worry about that. He's a starter. 2018, he started 23 of his 24 appearances, 2.62 ERA, 9.9 straight guts for 9, 3.04 FIP, finished third in Rookie of the Year voting. 2019, 3.26 ERA, 30 starts, had 10.6 strikeouts per nine and a 3.01 FIP. So the ERA might not show that he had a better year, but the FIP and the strikeouts per nine certainly do show that he had a better year. That's why he finished ninth in Cy Young voting and made the All-Star game. 2020 wasn't as great for him. FIP 4.36 wasn't where we want to see it. 3.44 ERA though and 10.3 strikeouts per nine. What I do want to say about Walker Bueller is I think he will really benefit from having a guy like Trevor Bauer in the building. I think that's a guy who he can learn a lot from. And I think that can add a unique element to Walker Bueller. He's always had the electric stuff, but I think you add just the knowledge that Trevor Bauer has, he'll teach Walker Bueller some things and that'll really make Walker Bueller perform at an even higher level. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that Clayton Kershaw is not the first ballot Hall of Famer that he is. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Clayton Kershaw won't start on opening day because that's who Dodgers fans want to see. However, I think that Walker Bueller is going to be the best pitcher on this team in 2021. Entering his 26-year-old season, this is a guy who has been getting better and better throughout his career. Of course, didn't do so in 2020 because some things just didn't go right in 2020 for him. Guys had down years in 2020. Obviously, there was a lot going on in the world, lots of distractions. Some things just didn't align for him in 2020. I think 2021, he's going to put his head down and work really hard. I think he's going to benefit and learn a lot from having Trevor Bauer in the building with him. And I think he'll really excel and be one of the best pitchers in baseball in 2021. Um, Walker Buehler obviously has great stuff, but Clayton Tershaw is the active leader in walks and hits per inning hits per nine inning and uh, is ninth overall in strikeouts per inning active. And he's had, he's had eight top 10 finishes and strikeouts per nine. I, I, I don't see how you could pick Clint Kershaw until you see him have a down year. You, you, I don't know how you justify it. Sure. Yeah, the guy kid has good stuff. Sure. But this is Clint Kershaw we're talking about. We will not need overtime for this one. We're going to take Leo. Sorry. What, what, do, what do you want to say, John? I, I, I did have a little more I could argue. I mean, you look at what Clayton Kershaw has done in the past three seasons. Hasn't had a strikeouts per nine over 10 in each of the last three seasons. In fact, it was 8.6 in 2019, got back up to 9.5 in 2019. But from 2014 to 2017, we saw him getting 10.8, 11.6, 10.4, 10.4. We are seeing a little bit of a drop off from Kershaw. He's still a great pitcher, but he is entering his age 33 season. At the end of the day, some of these guys don't last as long. We've seen a bit of a regression from Kershaw. He's still a great pitcher, but he's not as good as he once was. I, I do think Bueller is going to be the guy in LA. I really do. I think in the future, Bueller's the guy in LA, but I think Leo made a good argument for why right now it's still Kershaw. And until, like Leo mentioned, until we see a 
not great season from Kershaw, then I think that Leo won this argument and Leo wins the split the seam showdown. He won it six to four. Josh, I thought you made some good compelling cases for a lot of your guys. I thought you did a good job with Morton. Um, I, I just don't see it, but uh, I, I thought you did a good job there and I credit you, but you're now over two, unfortunately. So Leo, let's wrap up the podcast because Josh has to leave. Yep. Uh, next week, it will be Mr. Golden's turn to pick the showdown. Uh, you can do football, baseball. It'll be me and Dahmer going up against each other. Uh, someone has to stay, has to break off the undefeated streak. And I, I'm a little scared to see Josh be host and uh, what logic he'll use. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm fearful, but uh, it will be exciting. Uh, that is, I mean, we'll move to the final thoughts here and then we'll get out of here. Josh, final thoughts. There are three things that we can rely on in this world, Leo Silverman. You know what those three things are? What, what are those three things, Josh? You got death, you got taxes, and you got the month of March with Syracuse being on the bubble. Syracuse has played their way back onto the bubble, picking up wins against North Carolina and Clemson at home, heading into the ACC tournament now. Going to probably face either Duke or NC State. Win that game, go ahead and win the quarterfinal matchup, and the Orange should be dancing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an interesting week or so on campus. I'm looking forward to it. we got a lot of basketball to be played in the next week and a half, in the next nine days, excuse me, before the selection committee has to make a bracket. Guys, it's bracket season. It's heading into camp week. We're almost at the tournament. It is going to be fun. I'm still back in Gonzaga, but I do think that there are a lot of other good teams out there. I'm loving what Oklahoma State's been doing recently. Of course, Cade Cunningham did get hurt last night, wishing him nothing but the best. He is one of the most electric basketball players I've seen in my entire life. But there's also, I'm going to double down on my final thought because there's one other thing I need to address, Leo. I, yes. I, do, I do need to publicly apologize to you. The NBA regular season actually does matter. <laughs> and while we are on the subject of the NBA regular season mattering, there's a certain team in the NBA that goes by the New York Knicks. And they happen to be over 500. The Knicks are 19 and 18 heading into the all-star break. Julius Randle's an all-star. It's been a fun year to be a Knicks fan. Things are looking better. NBA matters now, guys. Let's go. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, stay locked to OTN, uh, Orange Press Pass, for all your post-game coverage on uh, the Syracuse games coming up. Uh, yeah, I, I, love to, I love to see it. Uh, Dom, final thoughts? Uh, my final thought is just going to be that the Washington football team just announced that they released Alex Smith. Uh, if that's the end of a fantastic career for Alex Smith, he, uh, he did all he could. It was fantastic. He never got that elusive ring, but he certainly helped build some teams to get to the Super Bowl, and he changed cultures, and we'll see if he can do the, if he did the same thing in Washington. Can I just jump in with that real quick? It's not the end of his career. He's going to New England. He, he, I will say that he has been on record saying he still wants to play, but – We'll see. Uh, all right. My final thoughts. Uh, now that the NBA regular season matters again, uh, <laughs> thanks to Josh Golden, uh, the Sixers are the best team in the NBA uh, heading into the all-star break. And we have our MVP and I could not be happier uh, through the trials and tribulations of the Eagles this off season and how much of uh, how much my cholesterol is raised 
Uh, my heart rate is raised and my rates of asthma attacks has raised from just this offseason alone. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers have been a nice counterbalance. And uh, yeah, Syracuse back on the bubble. False hope again. Uh, I don't think they'll beat Florida State in the quarterfinals, but uh, it, it'll be a fun ride. Uh, Might not have to be Florida State. It could end up being Virginia. We'll see. Yeah, well, Tony Bennett. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, March is. I rather uh, play Virginia than Florida State. Yeah, but uh, March is a beautiful month of basketball. Uh, it ends off with some great baseball. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be there next week. We'll be back next week for episode twenty-seven. Uh, uh, take care, everyone.